Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now turn over to the second chapter. Verse 1, chapter 2. Kind of a little bit of a composite of what's happening in this time frame. Verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So out of Rome came this decree that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. David. We see it again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time to open your word, to reflect on the coming of your son. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, just draw us near to you. We know you're not in a manger anymore, but we're thankful and grateful that you did come in this manner to save us from our sins. We pray, Lord, that you would just anoint this time, remove every distraction that would be keeping us from hearing from the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know the words. Uh, I'll read them to you, but I'm sure you're familiar. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All the years, all the wondering... All the scripture that had been written, all the saints, all the types, all the faith, all the questions, they become clear in this tiny town of Bethlehem. If you went with us to Israel, you did. We just we barely got into the town of Bethlehem. We got now there's a there's a, there's a checkpoint there because it's, it's Palestinian controlled. Uh, there's a checkpoint. There's a big wall. You've got to get into the city there. And so we went in there. We barely got into Bethlehem. It's not as tiny as it once was. It's still, it's still a small village. But in this tiny town, all the hopes and fears of all the years are met there. And God sends a tiny gift that will save mankind. A small gift that will save humanity. We looked last week at that winding but sovereign road to Bethlehem. Remember that winding road of Moses? Winding road of Paul? Now, Paul wasn't part of the road to Bethlehem, but again, it's kind of God weaves the lives of humanity into his plan, Uh, but certainly Abraham was and Moses was. David, of course, was. We looked last week at that winding sovereign road and how God used the lives of flawed, very flawed, and ordinary men and women just like you and me. But here's the thing. They were yielded to the will and calling of God. We have to be as well. They were yielded to the will and call of God to be part of that road that would bring forth God's promised solution to the worldwide problem of two things, sin and death. Sin and death. 
It's Christmas season. There still will be sin and there still will be death this week, won't there? But there is a solution. There is a solution. We traveled the 4,000 years of human history and God's providence from the Garden of Eden to a man named Abraham, through whom God births a nation, to a man named Moses, through whom God liberates a nation, to a woman named Ruth, through whom God exalts a nation and establishes the throne and lineage of, we just read his name twice, David. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. We saw that after Israel, and I'm referring back to last week, we saw that after Israel is conquered and destroyed by two, two empires, the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire, respectively, God sends back to the promised land from today what would be modern-day Iraq and Iran, sends back to the promised land a small remnant of exiles. And a nation, and the people of Israel anyway, the Jewish bloodline, eventually retakes root and a flourishing Jewish population begins to take root again in the promised land. And then subsequently, and I might add I'm skipping over a whole lot, a whole bunch of history with Persia and Greece kind of domineering the area, presiding over the land of Israel. But even in a period of 400 years where no scripture is given, the remnant continues to grow. And by the time we get to the Roman reign of Caesar Augustus, there are Jewish towns and communities throughout the promised land. They've all popped back up, springing back up, vibrant little villages. And it's in the northern area of Galilee, if you look at Israel on a map, you look up at the northern parts in the northern area, Galilee, which is adjacent on the west side, which would be our side, the west side of the Sea of Galilee in a small town called Nazareth, where we pick up from last week's study, the road to Bethlehem. With the culmination of that road, that God has paved in bringing salvation to the world. Not another ruler for Israel to kind of take over Caesar, but salvation. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this message, The Gift of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's all about giving. Isn't it fun to give? You know, the older you get, I, I, I don't mind when I get presents. If you want to give me, I don't mind presents. I, I don't get, don't be misunderstood. We all like when we get something we're not expected. But I'm like, as far as like desiring and like, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, I, I'm thankful the older I get, that is less and less in my mind. I don't think that much. I don't ride by, man, I wish I had, well, maybe when I see a certain Ford F-150 truck. But other than that, um, you know, when, for the most part, I, I don't really have that. But it is a blessing to give, isn't it? Yes, it is. Because... We've been made in the image of God yes. to give. For God so loved, he gave. And the road and the path to Bethlehem led to the greatest gift. 
that will later become the greatest sacrifice the world has ever seen. A gift unlike any other gift. This gift will never fade, and it actually gives life. No other gifts give life temporarily, but this gift gives eternal life. But it's kind of like a Christmas gift that the parents have wrapped and hidden, hopefully wrapped and hidden well. Uh, you've all, when you were kids, you stumbled onto what your parents had wrapped. Well, they didn't wrap it yet. It was just hidden, and it wasn't wrapped. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, they, if they're really good at it and they have wrapped it in advance and hidden it and even made sure you can't do one of these numbers to figure out what it is, the gift is ready, but it's yet to be given, right? It's already been bought, it's already been secured, it's already been wrapped, and it's put in a safe place until it's time, not until the right time will it be given. And we'll look briefly at three, uh, three perspectives of the gift that arrived in Bethlehem, Bethlehem at the right time. If you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at together is what I've titled Promised, Promised, but hidden. The gift was promised. We, we looked a lot at that uh, last week. We'll look at it uh, a little bit in review and a couple of other different aspects this morning. Um, you probably hear around this time of year the word Advent. You guys are used to hearing that word? Advent. You don't use it most of the year. You don't say, um, on the Advent of July, you, don't, you normally hear people saying this. Oh, you're so Latin, you know, with your, with your terminology. Um, if I wore the right kind of robes, I could really look like, you know, like uh, Anglican or something like that. But uh, the word Advent, it does come from the Latin word Adventus. It literally means coming. So whenever you hear the word Advent, Advent it means coming. The promise of a Messiah, a Savior, a king to take David's throne was something that many Jews longed for, hoped for, looked forward to, particularly from the perspective of somebody that would release them from Roman rule. That was their mindset. That was their perspective. You know, we had to deal with the Babylonians. We had to deal with the Greeks. We had to deal with the Persians, actually in reverse, the Persians, then the Greeks, and then Rome. And the longest period was under, under Greco rule. But they were looking for the coming of a Messiah, the advent of the Messiah. Yet precisely who this would be, how it would happen, and when the promised one would appear, precisely was a what? Mystery. How, when, who, exactly when it would happen was a mystery. And there's no question that God did veil many aspects related to the arrival of Christ. But he also, he also gave a lot of information that was available and knowledge that could be studied and anticipated. As we looked on the road to Bethlehem, very specific criteria and prophecies were related that Jesus had to check every single box. You agree with that? He had to check every single box. Let's take a look at some of them. Uh, we referenced them last week, but just by way of review. Uh, number one, he had to be from the tribe of Judah. A couple of passages, Genesis 
and Micah. He had to be from the town of Bethlehem. In other words, born in Bethlehem. Now, we saw from where we started that wouldn't have been possible because where we start the scene, Mary's in Nazareth, Joseph's in Nazareth. They're up in Galilee, so he can't be born yet if they're still in Nazareth. He has to be born in the town of Bethlehem. Uh, has to be from, also born in Bethlehem, but also from Galilee. Right? Many of you would, would, would kind of understand how this will work. Now, this will be post-birth. You know, like, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. But when I tell people where I'm from, I say, well, I'm originally from... Well, it actually depends on what time of my life I'm thinking. But you know what I mean. Most of my life I'd say, well, I'm from Virginia because uh, born in Maryland, but I grew up middle school and into high school here, you know. Well, I was born in, I was born in England, but my parents moved to the United States, so I'm, lived, I'm from New York. You know, you'll hear people thinking this. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he would be from Galilee. And the scriptures say that this has to be the case as well. Uh, number four, from the line of David, not just from Bethlehem, David's line. And both his parents, both Mary and Joseph, of course, Joseph wouldn't be his biological father. Joseph actually is from the royal line of David. Mary's from the line of David, but not from his son Solomon. In other words, David has, David has multiple lines because he had a bunch of, bunch of sons and daughters, right? So Mary comes from one of the sons but not from Solomon. Joseph comes from Solomon. Joseph's of the royal line, and that's the father line. Has to be, all this has to marry up. Has to be born of a virgin. Well, this, this is a huge one, because this will only happen once in all of history, right? right. Has to be born of, even when, the, even when uh, Isaiah gets this, you probably think, what did I just write? Or what did I just say? You know, what do you mean born of a virgin? And the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man. Back to Genesis chapter 3.15. Uh, number six, now this might seem redundant to you, but the way people think today, it's good to be redundant when it's needed. He would actually be born a baby as opposed to just appear. Right. Right. Now you would say, well, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that specify? Um, have you listened to people's arguments about things these days? <laughs> they think two plus two is seven. So you actually need, God gives a little bit of redundancy to make sure we get the point. He would not just be from, a, he would literally be born the same way everybody else is born. And he would appear, he would appear helpless, diaper changes, all that stuff. Which is kind of odd because you would think God would just appear on the scene. No, he would be born a verse and literally born the same way every other baby is born. And then last, his names would include, now this, this, his names really kind of eliminate the possibility that he's just any other man. Look at his names. His name would be wonderful. Okay, I could call someone else wonderful. Counselor, I could call someone else counselor. But we got a real problem, number three. <laughs> Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Have you ever called that to anyone else you know? Prince of Peace. You could make the argument someone else could be the Prince of Peace or something like that, but no, those two, Mighty God and Everlasting Father, eliminate everybody else unless this man is actually both man and God. So we, we have that, that it was foretold. Now for someone waiting and watching for the Messiah, these were unmistakable prophecies. Yeah. 
unmistakable prophecy. But over time, uh, many people stopped studying, stopped caring, stopped looking, stopped reading the scriptures. Sounds like today, doesn't it? People don't have time to read the scriptures. They have time to read their phone like eight hours a day. But tell you, me, and everyone else, they have no time to read the word. When people get to stand before God, and he says, I, I found that you had this much time for Facebook, but you had no time for me. I found that you had this much time for Netflix, but you had no time for me. I found you had this much time for your sports team, but you had no time for me. And many people, by the time Jesus was getting near dawning, getting near coming, just didn't study anymore, didn't read anymore, didn't care anymore. Some really did care. They were looking for the wrong thing, but some, many just had stopped studying, opening the scriptures, and what could have, should have been common knowledge related to the coming Messiah wasn't so common at all. That's why Jesus appears and no one's really, there's not this real everyone gathering for him. And over time, they stopped looking. But speaking of time, in addition to the prophecies related to Jesus' bloodline and his divine nature and birth, there were specified time frames. Did you know that there were specified time frames to anticipate his coming? Raise your hand if you knew that there were specified time frames related to his coming. Yes. We'll take a look at them. Here they are. You ever heard of Daniel? Daniel gets a prophecy from God about 70 weeks. 70 weeks, uh, they're not really weeks like our week. They are seven groups of, se- uh, they're, they're groups of seven years. So each week represents a seven-year seven period. Each week is seven years. So you have 70 groups of seven determined for Israel. Uh, it's all related to Jerusalem. You can go read it yourself. Related to Jerusalem, sin, and the promised Messiah because the Messiah was coming to take his seat in Jerusalem but also satisfy the requirements of sin. That's why it's related to Jerusalem and sin. And so what he solves for Israel is actually the same atonement for the whole world. What he does for Israel is sufficient for all of mankind. Number three, the prophecies are listed in this manner, seven weeks plus 62 weeks plus one week for a total of 70. That's how it's written out. Seven plus 62 plus one. And you know the math. You have 70. Now, seven weeks plus um, plus 62 weeks gives you the 69 weeks. So we have 483 years plus one final week for what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation period, one final week. There's a stoppage of time, a long time out between the 69th week and the 70th week. Um, This is not the only time this happens in the Bible. Uh, God seems to have other clock stoppages. Uh, Whenever Israel was unfaithful, he seems to not count some of those years. I don't have time to get in that study. Uh, as related to certain um, prophecies, and then they kind of pick back up when Israel comes back to the Lord. Uh, now the seven-year tribulation is going to be all about them coming back to, to Christ and Jesus coming at the end of that seven years, but there's also going to be a false Christ that's going to present himself to Jerusalem, to the world during that period. But uh, that final week, we don't have time to discuss this morning, but there, that, makes, that gives you the 70. But after 69 weeks... 
which is the 483 years, after 69 weeks, we have this prophecy that the Messiah would be cut off or killed. And we know from other passages, it's crucified. that He'd be cut off. They would actually take the very Messiah that came to save them, and instead of saying, well, they do wave palm branches at the beginning of the week, but at the end of the week, they say what? Crucify him. So they, they'll cut off the very Messiah that comes. And when does this 483 years, when did the clock stop, start on it? It begins at the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Bible student, you might say, well, doesn't that happen a couple other times? Yeah. What, first time, 444 B.C., Zerubbabel and company, and then you have... Um, 457 B.C. here, and the reason why that number uh, is, is the one that I look at, most scholars uh, would say the same, is because that was the decree to rebuild not just the temple, but the prophecies related to rebuilding Jerusalem, from the time to rebuild Jerusalem at proper. Remember, when Nehemiah goes, they rebuild what? The walls of the city. Whereas Zerubbabel, they just rebuild the temple. So if you take from 457... And you say from that time, 483 years after 457 B.C. gets us to 27 A.D. By the way, there's no such thing as 0 A.D. Um, you have 1 B.C. and 1 A.D. There's no 0 in between. So you can take 33 out of so 27 minus 33. You get a negative number, right? That would take us back to somewhere in the neighborhood that Jesus um, is arriving in the neighborhood of 3 and 6 B.C. to the world. But Daniel's 70-week prophecy was available to anybody. Daniel himself, you know, he understood that the people would go back reading Jeremiah's prophecies because he was a student of the Word. And so it was possible not to know the exact... Jesus said when he comes for the second advent... We would know the times and the seasons, but we wouldn't know the exact date, that we would be able to watch the signs, that we'd be able to understand. We'd be discerning of the signs of the time. We would understand that it's pretty significant that Israel's a nation again since 1948. That's not, that's not an insignificant thing. It's huge. It happened in some of your lifetimes. You were, some of you were born before 1948, and so you've been in the lifetime of that happening, which... For almost 2,000 years prior, that was unfathomable, that Israel would be a nation again, and it is. So uh, that was the first advent. And so we have a time frame that could have been understood and observed. Let's take a look at uh, number two here, revealed and proclaimed. So there is kind of the anticipation, there's the promise, there's the possibility of kind of understanding the time frame, but there still has to be actual revelation, the actual, like, I know, I'm not sure of a lot of things. I'm not sure how 2020 is going to go. I'm not sure how long I'm going to live, but I know Jesus is going to return someday. I'm positive of that. Me knowing it is different than when I see the sky split. Do you follow me? Me knowing that's going to happen is going to be really different than me standing in the clouds with Jesus. No help from American Airlines. Just standing there. What do we do next, Lord? That kind of thing, you know. There's a, there's a difference between knowing it's going to happen. I know for a fact that this is going to happen, but there's a difference when you put it in your mouth. 
so we have the reveal and the proclaim, as I mentioned, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 and 6 B.C., and, you know, give or take, um, a young Jewish couple, Mary and Joseph, both of the tribe of Judah, both of the house and lineage of David, they're betrothed to be married. Now, in the betrothal process, in the Jewish sense, once you're betrothed, you were married as far as the commitment to back out would be just like divorce. But they're betrothed. They've already made the marriage commitment with a simple ceremony, just a little cup of wine. There's a simple ceremony, but the wedding celebration and the subsequent consummation or the honeymoon, if you will, of the marriage, and then moving into the home as husband and wife, what we'd look at as phase two and phase three of their marriage, that's still to be completed. That part hasn't happened yet. They haven't moved into each, uh, they haven't had the, the celebration, the feast, and moving into the house, the consummation. That hasn't taken place. Now, we're not told, we're not told if Joseph and Mary were thinking about or anticipating the coming of Messiah. But here's what we do know. We, we don't know if they were studying the scripture saying, could he come yet? It could be, hey, maybe around 3 to 6 BC. We don't know if they were thinking in those terms. A lot of good believers uh, are living for Christ, and they don't know much about the end times. They're just on fire for the Lord anyway. So I don't know exactly where they were at on that. But we do know this. We know they were living faithful lives dependent on God and in obedience to God. That's what we know about their life. They were faithful and dependent on the Lord. What they knew of God, they were following by faith. What do you know of God, and are you following what you do know? Not what you don't know, but what you do know. Revelation with obedience gives rise to greater revelation. In other words, if Joseph and Mary were faithful in going to the synagogue and hearing the scriptures read, and when they were hearing them read by uh, their local rabbi, and they would say, we need to apply that in our lives. We need to keep doing that. Oh, yeah. God did that for Moses, he can do that for us. Oh yeah, God did that for David, who's our ancestor, he can do that for us. We know that as God gives revelation and then we respond with obedience, it leads to more revelation, additional revelation. But they never could have guessed the revelation and responsibility that was coming their way and ultimately to the whole world through their humble lives. They had no idea this was coming. Who could have guessed this if you were them? So here is this young, poor, working-class couple, two Judeans living north of Judah, up in, Gazer, up in Galilee, in Nazareth of Galilee, which that area was the ancestral area of the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon. Joseph was a carpenter by trade. Perhaps he found work or more opportunity uh, up in Galilee or northern Israel. Likely Mary's family as well, because again, they're from the tribe of Judah, but they're not living in Judah. They're living up north. Just quietly serving the Lord and living diligent lives. Their lives are about to change beyond their wildest imaginations. And by the way, you and I never know. <laughs> remember, remember what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were living simple, faithful lives to the Lord 
trusting God and obeying with what they did understand. You and I never know in 2020, in the year after 2021, whatever it may be, we never know what our small steps of faithfulness right now will lead to. You never know what your small steps of faithfulness are going to lead to. Now, we're all familiar with what happens next. To refer back to last week, the fullness of time has come. The fullness of time. God had it all planned out. This is the fullness of time. God was ready to move forward and pull back the curtains on his plan of salvation. And the first servant to be tapped, look back at Luke chapter 1. The first servant to be tapped in this unveiling is the angel Gabriel. He's not a servant that lives on earth. He's a servant that lives in heaven with God, a high-ranking, likely one of the two highest-ranking angels in all of God's kingdom. Now, Gabriel, he's already been part of the larger mission. Gabriel, God has had Gabriel in on this thing for a while now. He's been part of the larger mission. Um, look at the text. Luke chapter 1, we read verse 26, but let's read it again. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Imagine having your, your marching orders are right in the throne room. God says, Gabriel, go take a lightning fast trip and the blink of an eye go from heaven to Galilee. Boom. To a city named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. Let's stop right there for just a second. Now, Gabriel, he's the first servant tapped. He's sent by God from heaven and Nazareth. 1 Peter 1.12 tells us the, uh, the unfolding plan of the gospel is something that even angels look into and look into with great interest. They, they're fascinated. The angels are fascinated with God's plan and using People like us. So they look at down, they look into the whole thing. They're very, but they don't always know what's coming next, unless God tells them. They're, they're watching with anticipation. Gabriel, he's been part of this uh, larger mission. The name Gabriel is mentioned four times in all of Scripture. Four times his name is mentioned. Two in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament. He may appear on more occasions, but is only identified on four specific occasions. Twice with the prophet Daniel. Does that, that ring a bell? Twice he visits Daniel. And then twice his visit is related to the birth of Christ. And the last time before the coming of Christ is about 500 years earlier. And what was that time and scene 500 years earlier when Gabriel showed up 500 years earlier? What was the scene? It was Gabriel who came and gave Daniel the 70-week prophecy. Gabriel did it. Gabriel's the one that comes to Daniel and says, here's the time frame. Here's the 70 weeks. It's all connected. Gabriel, he's like God's 
chief ambassador. It's like the ambassador of heaven. He delivers really big news. His job is delivering huge news. Michael, the archangel, he's like the vice commander under Jesus of the army. He fights the big battles. They're kind of like two specific roles within God's army there. Uh, we, know, we know about Michael's role from Daniel as well. Daniel tells us about Michael and, and his role um, in fighting for the nation of Israel. Now, Gabriel, if you, I don't have time to read it, but if you go back in um, chapter 1 there, uh, specifically uh, verses uh, 12 through 25, uh, Gabriel visited Zacharias the priest first, and he announced to Zacharias that he would have a son that we now know as John the Baptist. That's Gabriel. He's talking to Daniel 500 years earlier. You know when you watch these, you know, you watch these movies now, and the L's are like 500 years old? Gabriel really was. You know, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I'm 700 years old. Gabriel really was. I, well, I was talking to Daniel about 500 years ago, and now, Zacharias, I'm talking to you. But it was, seems like yesterday I was talking to Daniel about this whole time frame. And now I'm talking to you. But he comes to Zacharias, and he announces the forerunner. He's not called, the Bible never calls him John the Baptist. You can call him John the Calvary Chapel guy if you want. But, you know, he was John the Baptizer. He did baptize. He was not a member of the Baptist church as far as we can tell and any of that kind of stuff. But he did do a lot of baptisms. And he's a forerunner to Jesus. And at the direction of God... Then he goes to Mary, so he goes to John first, I mean Zacharias, and announces John's coming. And then six months later, which is the sixth month of Zacharias' wife Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's now pregnant with John. Uh, she's a relative of Mary. And the six months of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which is miraculous in its own right, because Elizabeth was past childbearing years, he just suddenly appears same Gabriel, suddenly just shows up out of nowhere talking to Mary. And his first words, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, her, her response to this, look in the text, uh, her response to this when she gets this uh, uh, information from him, verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying. She's like, I don't know what you just said, but I have a feeling there's more to what you just said. I have this sinking feeling that there's more to what you just said, that I'm highly favored, but something else is coming. And her, no doubt she's troubled at the greeting. No doubt she's troubled by a mighty angel. By the way, everywhere we see in Scripture where angels show up, people get afraid. And I saw uh, a pastor write on this uh, not long ago. I was reading, and it's so true. I, I, believe, I believe he nailed this. The reason why people are always afraid, angels are not God, but they have no sin, and they bring the holiness of God. And whenever the holiness of God comes around us, we are painfully aware of how sinful we are. And so whenever a sinless being that comes right out of the throne room of God appears, you immediately sense all your guilt. I thought it was a great insight. I'm just passing it on. 
Um, but I really, everywhere in the Bible, we see people get petrified. You think, why would they be afraid of angels? They're from God because we, we feel the sin weight. But the, the angels always say the same thing, don't be afraid. I'm not here to judge you. I could, but I'm not. So calm down. God actually still likes you. And they do bring a lot of judgment in the Bible, too, so uh, you can understand. After all, her uncle Zach met Gabriel, and he went mute for the next nine months. He couldn't speak for nine months. He said, well, it didn't turn out so well at first for my relative. But she doesn't even know the massive news that's about to come, and yet she's already a little bit troubled. Look at what he says in verses 31 through 33. Here's the massive news. The angels tell her, do not be afraid. Angels continue to say that. Look, our holy presence makes you petrified. We get it. Someday you'll be sinless like us. God's going to take away all the sin nature from you, and you won't have to worry. But right now you guys still have it, and you feel that guilt when we show up. But don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And if you're saved, you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive, and in your womb bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. All capital letters in your Bible. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There it is again. David. The throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's God's plan for Israel still encapsulated in the whole thing. And his kingdom, there will be no end. So we have this great news that she's going to bear the Son of God. The son of the most high. The son of the highest. But Mary's stunned and confused. Uh, she says, how is this possible? Behold, uh, she says, um, how can this be since I do not know a man? It's interesting. When you're having a conversation with heaven, it's as if some things are communicated immediately to the heart with no word. The angel didn't say what I find fascinating. She, whenever we see angels talking to people, God kind of like, certain information goes straight in and they know it without a word, and other is kind of held back from God for a second. Because God controls every channel of your mind. He can say, all right, this comes in and I put a wall there. Remember Jesus veiled the disciples sometimes? They could, they would, oh yeah, we get it. And they, they really didn't. But she immediately knows, she fully understands Without the angel saying it, she fully understands that Gabriel is speaking of a pregnancy that precedes her and Joseph coming together. He didn't say, and he didn't say, and your, your birth will be a virgin birth. He said, you will conceive from the most high. She immediately understands this is not me and Joseph. She knows it. It's not, it precedes the consummation of the marriage. She doesn't know how this is going to work, though. Gabriel could have said all that, but he didn't. You know, that he could, you know, Gabriel could have said to her, I don't know, what, what, we don't know if he said other things and they're not recorded, but he could have said to her, oh, by the way, you know that verse in Isaiah 7, 14? You're the virgin. <laughs> he could have said that. He might have said that. I don't know, but I mean, he could have said, oh, by the way, you know, you, you've been reading that since you're a little girl. You are the virgin. You're the one. That God chose for time. But even in, even in those times, they might not have even fully believed it or fully understood it or even said, uh, oh, not sure. maybe it really doesn't mean virgin. You can see a lot of pastors, they explain away the Bible, don't they? We're not here to do that. We're here to look at what it says and believe it. 
But the means of how God would place the Messiah in her was withheld from her so she would ask a follow-up question. God says, she won't know this, but she'll have to have a follow-up question. And her follow-up question was, how? Pretty basic, isn't it? How? And Gabriel's ready. He, he knows that she's going to have the follow-up question. He's ready. And he says in verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The same way the Holy Spirit will come upon you. How does a man with the jawbone of a donkey kill a thousand men? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. How does a man put a staff out in the Red Sea parts? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. How in the world can... Uh, people walk around a city and the walls just fall down, the Holy Spirit comes. Same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, Billy Graham said for years, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you'll have no trouble with the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. The rest seems pretty simple. If God can speak black holes and universe into existence, he can do whatever he wants. You're a miracle just being here too. None of us invented ourselves. If he wants to place his son inside Mary, it's not hard for God. But he says the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will bring down the Son of God and place him in you. I believe when we get to heaven, you know, Mary receives all this with a whole lot of grace. Um, I believe when we get to heaven, I believe the Holy Spirit came upon her even as Gabriel was talking to her, the Holy Spirit was already upon her in this respect. I think we'll find out when we get to heaven, both from Jesus and, me, and when you get to talk to Mary face to face, you'll find just how much grace and strength was poured out into her to receive this news, to absorb this news, and be settled with it, because it would be very unsettling. It's weird. You have God living in you, and yet, think about it, the, all the uncertainty, what happens in the marriage, what will people think, um, not to mention the unbelievable responsibility that you have the Son of God inside of you. <laughs> that would make your mind spin. And take note that she responds with the angel's opening command. She rejoices no matter what. Uh, she does respond. He told her to rejoice, and then that's exactly what she does. She sings the song of Mary in, start in verse 46. I don't have time to read it, but she does. She responds with obedience, and she goes and rejoices and even writes a song about rejoicing. It's really a powerful song, too. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, he doesn't know any of this right now. Um, Joseph's not rejoicing when he finds this out. He hasn't had an angelic visit yet. He's not quite sure what happened. We've got to go to Matthew chapter 1. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on. But we do know that even though he's trying to make sense of it all, He's a really godly, gentle man, and he doesn't want her stigmatized or put in a bad light. He's, he comes up with a plan to secretly put her away, whatever that exactly means. We have some thoughts about that. Maybe move her to another town, different thing. But whatever it is, he's trying his best to protect her. That she's not put in a harm's way. She's not stoned. There's nothing. Whatever it is, he said, I'm gonna, I don't understand this. Why would you do this to me? Maybe you didn't do this to me. Maybe you had a bad dream. I don't know what it is, but this isn't. This isn't good. He's not rejoicing at this point. He's wondering what to do. He's laying on his bed, falls to sleep, trying to think about a plan, how to handle the situation. And then God sends another angel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. As his mother, 
Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Again, not, no consummation of marriage. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, not understanding this at all, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, trying to come up with a plan, men are good at plans, by the way, uh, trying to come up with a plan, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, once again, don't be afraid. The holy presence of God, don't be afraid. And take, um, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's not met another man. It really is from the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. This was all God. She stayed pure. And she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. In other words, this is bigger than you and it's bigger than Mary. You're just the vessels. Uh, so this was done that it might be fulfilled. We've spoken with the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin, there's Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph roused from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Verse 25 at the end of it, and he called his name Jesus when the time came. So God sent another angel. It may have been Gabriel. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell if it's, uh, if it's Gabriel. But this angel steps right into one of Joseph's dreams. Isn't that pretty cool? Angel's like, angel can walk into your dream. Walk right into your dream and say, I know your dream about cheeseburgers right now. Here's what we're going to talk about. You know. <laughs> you're having this weird, dumb dream that doesn't make any sense at all. And you're, you're, you're childhood and you're 90 and it's all in there. And the angel's got to everything. Let's talk about something important for a second. Steps into the dream comes right in and says, you don't have to worry. You don't have to come up with a plan. Um, steps into this dream and tells him, but like Mary, he tells, here's what God wants you to do. And Joseph responds with complete obedience, doesn't he? He obeys. He wakes up. He's aroused out of his sleep, jumps up, says, all right, no more plan to put her away. I'm going to do what the angel said. He remains committed to the marriage remains in a state of betrothal, and will name him Yeshua exactly as he's been told. It's already been revealed to Mary um, and Joseph that they would welcome the Messiah to the world. They're the only two people on earth that know this at this time, although they tell the relatives, Mary goes on, Elizabeth finds out, and others. But a few other, but at this point, it's just the two of them. That they're the only ones that would have the privilege and the responsibility to bring Jesus in the world and to name him Jesus, to save his people from their sins. Um, it's one thing that you know you're going to see the face of God. It's another thing to actually see the face of God. Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. Fast forward to near the end of uh, Mary's pregnancy, turn over back over to Luke chapter 2 where we read... This will be our last passage. Fast forward to near the end of her pregnancy. We read already at the outset that Caesar Augustus has given this de decree of the census. Everyone has to go home to the place of their ancestry. So to Bethlehem they go. They're headed to Bethlehem. She's pregnant late in her pregnancy now. Uh, we're probably eight or nine months there, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, the small town of Bethlehem, as they're traveling there, which would have been rough and Difficult anyway on a donkey with her pregnant, eight or ninth month. If you've been to Israel, you know how rocky and mountainous it is from there to there. Those of you that have been with us, you saw the road there is not an easy, not an easy task. And Bethlehem is busier than normal for the same reason they're coming there. 
Now, they can't get there quick because she's pregnant, so they're the slowpokes. Everyone else has already gotten there. The whole town is packed because all the other ancestors have returned as well. There's no room, and nobody opts to change their plans for this pregnant woman. Everybody's like, well, can't, can't do it. So Mary and Joseph, it tells us, pick it back up with where we left off, and they went into the city of David, middle of verse 4, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, and, and so it was while they were there, the days were completed. There's that fullness of time again. For her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, an animal trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. Packed, no room. We do have a stable that you can use. So Mary and Joseph, they're given an enclosure for keeping animals. And the Son of God is laid in a food trough for animal feeding. The most valuable gift, more than the worth of all the universe combined, is laid in a food trough. This is the humility of Jesus. His whole life will be lived this way. He could have taken a palace. He never did. Praise God he's in a palace now. We've been reading about Hebrews. He's in his throne room. He's sitting on next to the right hand of the Father. But yet in the plan of God, I think it all makes sense, doesn't it? That he'd be in a food trough because he's going to end up on a Roman cross. He starts low, finishes low, but finishes really high out of the grave. Amen? It makes all the sense in the world that he would be in a lowly trough because it, the, the cross is way more barbaric than even the food trough. He's going, he's, he's kind of showing his humility, and he, the humility of the cross will be even more of a going down. It all makes sense. A far more vile object awaits Jesus. But the gift of God becoming the sacrifice of God is still 33 years away at that point, right? Still 33 years away. This night, though, this night that we celebrate, had the angels came to do what? They came to celebrate. They came to celebrate. But the celebration wasn't a VIP celebration. It was a VHP celebration. Very humble people. <laughs> Not very important people. The gift and plan of God had been revealed to Mary and Joseph but there was one group of accommodations who had even worse accommodations than them, and that was the local shepherds. They were living in the wet dew of the grass on a cold night. It's even worse. You think sleeping in a barn's bad? Sleep outside the barn. You know what I'm saying? That's what their accommodation. An angel appears to the group of men uh, that held David's same occupation. Pick it up in verse 8. King David, his original occupation was what? A shepherd. Now, in the they were in the same country, verse 8, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were what? Greatly afraid. There's the holiness again. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. The angels are constantly saying this. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. These men had even a worse occupation, but 
They were given this great news, and we'll take a look at this last point, found and adored. Um, these men would have been left out of all the best invites in the community. The shepherds were not invited to the top shelf meeting of dignitaries and the important businessmen and the mayor and all that stuff. They were always out doing the dirty work of the sheep. And many scholars believe that the very sheep that they wa watched over were the sheep that would go up to the temple. The Bethlehem shepherds would send the sheep up. They were the ones that would tend. But again, a lot of times, people doing the greatest work are not getting the best pay, right? People doing some of the most important work, kind of carrying the, carrying the thing along, are not always compensated. They were low on the scale. These cold, tired, poorly paid shepherds they were never invited to the big shot things. And the angels come to them and say, you're invited to a private viewing. <laughs> you guys. What? You got the wrong guy. No one invites us to anything. We're only invited to clean up the poop afterwards or something like that. No one invites us. Now, you guys are invited to a private viewing, not just any viewing, the Son of God. You get to go. And see the gift that before anyone else on earth other than Mary and Joseph would see. They would be the only two. Mary and Joseph would see Jesus first, but they would be second. They said, it's born tonight. You can go there. You can see it. And the invite of the angel, um, the sight of the angelic host uh, praising God, everything else becomes secondary to them. At this invite, they make haste, the scriptures tell us. And so it was, verse 15, the angels had gone away from of them to heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They go with haste, and once again, revelation with obedience leads to what? More revelation. They were told, now they saw. They believed, now they saw. Revelation with obedience always leads to more revelation. Seeing angels is amazing enough. Seeing Emmanuel... God in flesh is incomprehensible. But they fully believe and they go, and as they believe and as we believe and we go forward with God's commands, we'll always see God unveil things. But exactly what the angels proclaim, they find Jesus. Their worry, uh, their, well, maybe worry too, their weary work night becomes a life-changing worship night. Their weary work night becomes a life-changing worship worship night, Jesus would later say, the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit means authentic, genuine, that they would be genuine. You, there's people that are not genuine worshipers. These guys were in their heart. They said, we came to worship, to bow down. Oh, come, let us adore him. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. It was told to them, uh, as we come and adore, we'll continue to leave and adore. If you're adoring Jesus in this room, you'll adore him outside this room. You'll go adoring. You'll have a lifestyle of worship. If you've truly met and bowed down before Jesus, you'll become a worshiper. These shepherds, they were praising God passionately because they had seen the truth their very own salvation was in their presence. Their salvation, 
The salvation of God is a man, the man Christ Jesus, the God-man. They saw the gift of God that had come to them from heaven via that long and winding road that we looked at over the 4,000 years, but also right down out of heaven itself. Those roads intersect, don't they? The heaven road and the earth road intersect into the God-man of Jesus Christ. And the road to Bethlehem to a gift wrapped not in gold foil wrapping paper, Jesus is wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes used for burial. Swaddling clothes. That's what he's wrapped in, not in gold foil wrapping that we would see today. The gift of Jesus. It's interesting. We'll close here. It's interesting. Here's Jesus in Bethlehem. Shepherds go see the good shepherd. The line of the tribe of Judah is literally in a manger with other animals all around him. The city of the king, the king of kings, is there. All of Jesus' names are fulfilled in one package in their presence. Mary says in verse 19, she kept these things and pondered them. You know what the word ponder means? Connecting the dots. She's now seen her Bible come alive. It all makes sense. And everyone there in that room is a true worshiper. How about in this room? Let's bow and pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent your gift, your only begotten son, Jesus, Savior of the world. And Lord, we can't say thank you enough for coming. What a humble beginning because you, you were coming for the humility of the cross. But Lord, on that night, they worshiped. And Lord, we worship in our hearts and we're so grateful you came, that you fulfilled all the prophecies, all the promises. Lord, let us not think that this is some tired story, but Lord, an eternal, spirit-lifting, life-changing story. Lord, even if we're saved, that it just kind of invigorates our love and adoration of you, which kind of removes all the unimportant things out of our lives. And with our heads bowed, I just want to just pray with all of us uh, just a thank you to the Lord. Father, when the angels appeared, people got afraid because of your holiness. But we, if we've come to know you as our Lord and Savior, we're not motivated by fear now, but that we've found favor. We've found salvation. Lord, in this room, I pray that you cleanse us. We want to be holy and fit to be worshipers, faithful in what we do know, just like Mary and Joseph, faithful in what we know that we would lead to greater steps of responsibility and revelation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.